The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Stories from the Sidelines. I'm Coach Larry, and I'm all alone today. Um, Matt Keogh got called into work, and I couldn't find a guest. So you guys are stuck with me for a solo show. Don't worry, I'll try still try to keep this as entertaining as possible. All right, uh, today we're going to come in hot with... Um, little bit talk about the first day of school, uh, whether you're, uh, you remember your days as a first day of a college student, first day as back as elementary, middle school, high school, teachers, many, many, many first days of school um, can be a little bit exciting, a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of just, you know, not sure what to expect. I know myself, I've been teaching now. Uh, physical education and health since 2002 when I graduated Canisius College. So a little shout out to the Griffs back there. So, um, you know, 20 years, uh, whether it's been as a sub, as a teacher, um, in some capacity, I still get a little anxious, still have a little anxiety, um, especially as a physical education teacher um, and a health teacher, health certified as well for the specials. Um, I'm currently teaching in a K to eight building and sometimes there are years where we don't know what grade level exactly we are teaching until the day before we start, sometimes the day of that we start. So it can be a little anxious. I mean, we've got a K to eight building. Sometimes you go in one year, you're teaching, um, kindergarten, first, second, third, the next year you're teaching middle school, the next year you're teaching health, the next year you're teaching any grades in between. I remember one year I taught, I think, pretty much all of them, where I had a kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade class. At Not in the same day, obviously, but in over the course of the year. Um, and on top of that, a health class. So it's one of those where it can be a little tricky. And I know here's everybody, oh, the phys ed teacher's complaining. What do you got to do? You roll out a basketball and just have the kids play. It's not that simple. Maybe back in the 80s and 90s, it was that simple, but not anymore. Um, And it can get a little tricky, you know, where you've got to organize games for the real little ones, the um, early education kids, the kindergarten, kindergartners, first grade, second grade, you know, where you're doing a lot of beanbag games, fun tag games, locomotor games. Then you get into your second, third, and fourth where you're introducing them to sports. You're doing a lot of dribbling. You're doing a lot of just individual skills. And then you get to ramp it up for the, the older kids, the fifth, seventh, or fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, where they're playing more games, still doing um, activities, but you ramp it up a little bit for age appropriateness. So it can get a little tricky when you're teaching 
different subjects, especially for prepping a class where you're obviously a lot of times not going to use the same equipment for a kindergarten class that you would for an eighth grade class. Although sometimes I use my parachute for the eighth graders as well, you know, take them back (laughs) to their kindergarten days. But it could be a lot of prep where you have your entire gym prepped for a kindergarten or first grade class and within the three minutes that you, uh, window that you get, sometimes if you have a back-to-back class, you've got to take down that stuff and set up stuff for a sixth or seventh grade class. So it can get a little tricky, be a little anxious, but um, as teachers, you know, we adapt. Uh, as specials teachers and physical education teachers, we really adapt. Um but again, you know, the first week of school is coming up very, very quickly in about, I think we've got a week from this coming, or two weeks, a week or two, um, and we're, we'll be starting back in the 31st with meetings, superintendent conference days, professional development days, all that fun stuff, and the kids will be back shortly thereafter. So summer is coming to a close very, very fast. And for me, it was a fantastic summer. I know I mentioned this on the show previous, but um, this was the first summer in since I was 15, 14, um, that I did not work a single job this summer. I did a lot of traveling, um, thanks to my wonderful, beautiful wife, Victoria. Did a lot of traveling, got to go to Europe, did Italy for the first time in my life, a trip that, in fact, I remember when I first um, first started dating uh, my wife, we, you know, I had always talked about, uh, she obviously loves traveling, uh, she has done a lot more traveling than I have, but um, my big thing was, you know, um, when I get a chance, when I take summer off, we're going to go to Italy. We're going to go to Italy. Next summer, we're going to go to Italy. We're going to go to Italy. And finally kept pushing it off until she finally surprised me with that trip. And it was outstanding. Um, it was amazing. We did northern Italy. We did um, a little bit of central Italy with Rome. But we did Florence. We did Rome. We did um, Milan, uh, Cinque Terre. We got to go do a quick little day tour, day stop in Pisa. We went all over. It was 10 days of just awesomeness. Cannot cannot do the trip any justice. It was fantastic from top to bottom. Even though we were walking an average of, I think every day, I think I averaged it out, we did about 15 to 16 miles on average. The one One day we did almost 20. Um, miles of walking a day, and it never got any lower than 94 degrees. At one point, and it happened to be the day where we did almost 20 miles of walking, we did it in 98-degree weather, which the sun burning down. I mean, it was beautiful. The weather was fantastic, but at the same time, that was a lot of walking in some big-time heat. But it was fantastic. The food was amazing. So um, definitely had a fun summer there. And it wasn't a, wasn't a summer of nothing but fun. Did a lot of work around the house. Um, as they say, had that honey-do list. 
where I had to paint the the inside of the garage a little bit. I had to do some odds and ends work around the house. Just some stuff there. Don't get me wrong. My wife was um, is awesome where she let me do a lot of just lounging on the couch, watching some Netflix, taking the dogs to the dog park. So I don't want to sound um, like I'm complaining at all because it was one of my best summers that I've had in a long, 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 long time. And don't get me wrong, I did miss working um, at the camp that I worked at. But you know what? I uh, was there for almost 15 years. It was time to just start a new chapter in my life, and I was glad that I did it Um Missed working with a lot of the people that I worked with uh, at the park camp, and I'm glad that, uh, you know, I still talk to some of them. Glad that they had an incredible summer. Um, was checking out a lot of their Facebook posts. So it looked like they had an incredible summer. Um, but, yeah, I enjoyed every minute of the summer. And it's not over yet. It's not over yet. So definitely looking forward um, to the next couple weeks and especially as we get closer and closer to fantasy uh, football draft time. Got a couple fantasy football drafts coming up soon. Um, in fact, at the park camp, still doing a fantasy football league with some of the counselors uh, who still work there. And mo- It's getting more and more like a, a park camp alumni fantasy football team because I think out of the people that are um, still in the league, I think maybe two or three, only work for Park Camp anymore, still currently this summer. A lot of us are alumnus of Park Camp, old former counselors. So we'll be having that league. We'll be having the um, draft for the podcast precinct league here. And for um, the, what's my other one, the Emerge draft um, with Rich Morano over at um, Emerge Studios. So that'll be fun. Um I love fantasy football. I really, I did it um, a long time ago and then kind of got out of it for up until probably about eight years ago. Really got back into it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Usually I only do one, (laughs) usually I only do one team a year. Last year I did two. This year I'm doing three. So it's it's fun. Um, A lot of fun. I enjoy it. And you know what? It's anytime there's competition, there's trash talking. So yeah, none of these leagues are for big money. Money. None of these leagues. Um, there are some leagues out there that I've heard. You know, people paying five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars for the league, and that's just outrageous. I mean, this one. You know, they're all small money leagues. It's more just for bragging rights. You know, it's more for bragging rights. And in fact, the the, the one here at the studio that we're going to be doing at the podcast precinct. Um, Last year, as you know, we we gave you the updates. Matt and I gave you the updates. We ran a team together. And when I say we ran a team together, I was probably the silent. uh, Yeah, not probably. I was the silent owner. So I had two teams last year. I had my one for the, the park camp league and this one. And, I was away for this draft. I was on my honeymoon when the draft came. Matt was kind enough to do the draft for me, Matt Keogh. And, um, yeah, we won. And when I say we won, it was mostly him. Okay, it was all Matt. Matt did a great job. In fact, the only time that I really made a move here or there was I cut – who did I cut? I cut Matheson when I thought he wasn't going to play, but then he was going to play – uh, and it was just 
yeah, it almost cost us a game, but we were able to win. So this year, I've got a team. He's got a team. We'll have our draft uh, this coming Sunday, next Sunday. So we will we'll see. We'll see who's got the better, who's going to have the better team. So I have, I'll have to bring my A game this year. I'll have to bring my A game. As my general manager left me and he started his own business, his own team. So uh, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. A lot of, uh, just a lot of trash talking, basically. Now, that being said, uh, this is also a, a very fun time for me. In fact, earlier today, I got together with um, Jamie Rapel, who was on the team, or who's on the team, who was on the podcast, uh, the head coach for the Kenmore East um, girls varsity soccer team that I have had the privilege now. Uh, this will be the third year I'll be joining her as assistant coach um, with the girls this year on the varsity squad. Um, it is, we we got together today just to talk about tryouts, just to talk a little bit about uh, getting equipment together. And man, I can't wait. I can't wait. I am so thankful again that I'm able to be up with the varsity girls. Not that I, not that I didn't enjoy coaching JV, but it is just so much fun coaching with Jamie. It really is. I've coached with a lot of coaches. I've had fun with almost all of them. I'd say all of them. I don't want anybody to say, "Hey, did you have fun?" No, I've had I've had fun coaching with every coach that I've coached. But Jamie is just—it's such a treat to coach with her. I mean, she is. We're on the same page with a lot of things. Our lot of philosophies are the same. But not only that. I have so much respect for her that if I make a call and if she doesn't see eye to eye with her, um, I have no problem taking her feedback. And I like to hope think that I've made an impression on her where she takes my feedback as well. She's never said, well, nope, we're not doing that. We're doing things this way. It's truly a partnership. I think it's been outstanding, and I'm hoping it continues for a long time. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. But no, it has been outstanding coaching with her. And this year in particular, for me, it's a it's going to be a bit of a special year. This year, I've got a group of probably seven or eight uh, senior girls that I have coached and had the unique privilege of coaching since they were in seventh grade. So uh, back then, I coached them for modified soccer. I coached most of them for modified soccer in seventh grade. When they would have been in eighth grade, I moved up to JV and had a chance to where quite a few of them moved up their eighth grade year instead of playing modified, decided to play JV, try out for JV, made the team. So I coached a number of them for JV for two years and then moved up, was was lucky enough to be able to move up with them now for varsity for the last three years. So it has been awesome. It has been a lot of fun. Um, not only in in individual sports like track and field, cross country, you'll get to see sometimes where you'll coach a varsity runner or a varsity individual sport, maybe on tennis, uh, bowling, where you've coached them since seventh grade. A lot of times in team sports, it's a rarity. You really don't get a um, a seven-year athlete you know you'll get your you'll get your four-year athletes where they've been on the team since for varsity for four years 
Um, a lot of times it is rare, though, to have a athlete, a varsity athlete, not that all of these girls were varsity, but just to coach them throughout the ranks. So I've been lucky enough to coach them in modified, in JV, and in varsity. And I'm really looking forward to this year. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we've got a great group of girls that have been playing together now. That group has been playing together since seventh grade. We've got a bunch of good um, sophomores and juniors right with them to fill in spots. I think it's going to be an outstanding season and an outstanding year for the girls' uh, Ken East team. I think we are going to really put people on notice and hopefully, um, you know, set ourselves up for a great, successful season. But this is the time of the year where you get a little anxious too. And I've been coaching soccer now since I was 18 years old. The first team that I coached was a U10 team at uh, Niagara Pioneer, and that was 18 years old. I was a freshman in college, and I was able to do it – And it was a lot of fun. And even though this is now 24 years, 23, 24 years since I've been coaching, I still get that nervous energy, that anxiety energy at the beginning of every season. And it's not even so much of anxiety. It's just a a nervousness, but it's also just an excitement. You know, you, you get yourself hyped up. You get yourself ready. For me, too, the biggest thing I – it's ask anybody that's ever coached with me. In fact, hopefully we'll get Jamie on here um, in an, uh, a week or two. Anybody that's ever coached with me, I hate doing paperwork. I hate doing paperwork. I do the paperwork. You got to turn in your code of con- – make sure the kids turn in their code of conducts. Of course, make sure that they're cleared for concussion testing, cleared for medicals. Um, of course, you do all that stuff. But I hate doing it. Now, this last year and this year, Kenmore, the district, has done a great job of switching to Final Forms, a program that's made it easier. But still, it's – I just – I hate doing paperwork. And not that there's a lot of forms on Final Forms now because everything is majority done online. But inevitably, those first practices or two – you're still you have a kid or two that'll show up without their physical in. You've got to go over to them, go over to their mother, father, their parents, grandparents, whoever's dropping them off, and just say, "I'm sorry, um, they won't be able to practice today." You have to get your physical in, and then of course you'll get the. But well, we've got an appointment with my doctor. She can't. Uh, the doctor can't see her until next week. And so, well, ma'am, I'm sorry, my hands are tied. There's nothing they can do. She can come sit and watch if she wants and stay here, but she cannot dribble. She cannot run. She cannot do anything with the team until she gets a physical in. And then you get the parents. I'd say 95% of the parents get it and understand and just, okay, I understand. We'll try to move it up. And usually they come back the next day with the physical done or maybe they missed two practices. But then, of course, you get the parents that just think that, you're the one making that rule, and you won't bend it for them. If it was up to me, I would make an exception, but I can't. It is, le- and I tell them, and even after the explanation, sometimes, most times they get it, sometimes they don't, and they'll say, well, 
you know, can I talk to your athletic director? Can I talk to uh, Brett Banker? Can I talk to um, anybody at the district office? I'm like, sure, go ahead. And here's their number. Go ahead, give them a call, and they'll tell them they'll tell you the exact same thing. It is not our rule. It is not a school rule. It's a district, or it's a it's a state rule. You have to have a physical in. You have to have certain forms, and you have to have concussion testing before you practice or before you play concussion. You can actually practice, but you have to have those things done. And again, that's not a Kenmore rule. That is a New York State rule and in fact probably most states um, just for insurance reasons and as a coach I really wouldn't want a kid out there without a physical because you know what that is a lot of liability because if if I let a kid practice without a physical without being cleared by a doctor and that kid gets hurt under my care this would be the last time you hear me <laughs> not only on a podcast but see me coaching because there are the coach is in huge trouble if that happens. So it is also a liability issue. You've got to get those things done. But, of course, it is never the fun part of the job of telling a kid, sorry, you can't practice today. You need to go get your concussion testing. Sorry, you can't practice today. You need to go get your physical. Sorry, you can't practice today. You need to get this form filled out or that form filled out. So if any of my girls are listening, my soccer girls, please get your forms filled out. I know we've sent email after email after email, but please get your forms filled out for this coming Monday's first practice. Other than that, though, the first day, first week of tryouts slash practice, it's fun. Uh, You get together with the JV coach this year. Dan Norton is stepping in and is going to be the new JV coach. I know I've coached, for those of you who don't know, I've coached with Dan for the last... Six years? Seven years? Um, Sorry, Dan. Six or seven years. I've coached with Dan for indoor and outdoor track. And now we'll be coaching soccer together. Dan has moved over from volleyball in the fall to soccer in the fall. So he's going to be the JV girls uh, soccer coach. So he'll be with us for that first week of tryouts. And it's fun because the first week, yeah, we've got drills set up. Yeah, we've got... um, Uh, different scrimmages set up. But for me, we take a little bit more of a hands-off approach those first couple days. We'll do a drill. We'll we'll set up a drill. We'll show them what to do. But a lot of it is we want to see what these girls are capable of. And going into any tryouts, you know your girls from last year that played. You know your girls, your JV girls from last year that played, girls that played varsity last year. You want to see what they do, too, and you tell them, hey, no spot is guaranteed on this team. But you're also excited, too, to see any new girls, any new 7th and 8th graders, new ninth, 10th graders, any new transfers that come into the building. You want to see, you know, and get a little surprised and get a little excited to see what else you have out there that you haven't seen. I know um, the captains have been holding practices over at... Adams Field for they've been holding them almost all summer. It has been fantastic to see um, Maria Colosimo, uh, George Costanzo, or Maria Costanzo, the captains organizing the practices this year, setting up the practices, and they've been in contact with Jamie and I, and they've been getting about fourteen, fifteen girls a practice, which has been outstanding. 
and which is awesome, which you love to see. Again, it's all optional for those girls. They run it, they do it, and it to get that kind of a result, to get that kind of a, a an out, or as I get a little tongue tied here, to the that kind of numbers showing up. That's fantastic. That's fantastic, and you love seeing that, and you get excited about seeing that. So it's going to be a great year, but that those first week of tryouts. It's always fun. It's a little bit of nervousness, a little bit of energy, a little bit of excitement, but just a whole lot of fun. And then, of course, making the cuts. Making the cuts, or not necessarily making the cuts, but letting people know who's on varsity, who's on JV, if there's any 7th or 8th graders there that aren't quite ready enough to be a member of the JV team to let them know when Modified starts their practices and encourage them to go out for the modified team, the 7th and 8th grade team. And this year, right now, we've got 44 girls that have signed up for tryouts. And that is unbelievable. That is unbelievable. In fact, Jamie and I were talking about this today when we met. It is unbelievable. I think that is the most we've ever had numbers-wise, that are going to show up for a tryout um, in the last, this will be five years now that we've been together, six years now that we've been together. I'm counting the times that we were, uh, that I was just the JV head coach, I believe six years, seven years, something like that. I don't know. When you get old, all those years just kind of blend together. But this is the by far the most numbers that we've had showing up for tryouts. So it is going to be fantastic. But Inevitably, you have to make those tough decisions, and it's never fun. It's always fun telling a kid, especially a ninth grader, a seventh grader, an eighth grader, a tenth grader, um, an athlete who wasn't expecting to make the varsity squad. It's amazing to tell them that they made the team, that they're going to be on varsity, and you see that enjoyment, you see that excitement. But on the flip side, it can be heartbreaking telling a kid that they have they didn't make varsity but there's a spot on JV for them. They didn't make JV but modified program will be starting up in a week or two. So make sure you listen for those um tryout dates or you tell them the tryout dates. Especially if they we're really planning on making the varsity team. We're really planning on making the JV team. Especially we've had there's been a couple cases where you know, their friend made varsity, but they didn't. They may only made JV. So it's been it's been very, very, very uh there's been a couple of tough calls. In fact, one that I can remember there it was my last year doing the Kenmore Middle uh boys var or boys modified team before Kenmore Middle closed down. So it was their last season. Um we had a large number of students that came out. Usually, you want to keep any a full team is eighteen. Um, you know, there have been times where I've gone as high as twenty one, twenty two, even twenty three, because you really don't want to cut any kids. That year, uh, we had a very good season. In fact, that was the season our last year. That was the season we won. We went. Um, we only lost one game. So we went uh, 12 and 1 
And due to tiebreakers, we won the title over Luport because they beat us one nothing the first time. We beat them 5-1 the second time. But there was that year I had 30 kids try out for the team. I would have loved to keep all 30. You can't keep all 30. Again, there's been times the highest number I kept in any in any team I've coached, uh, one year I kept 24, and that was a rough year. It was just too many kids, especially during game times. You really can't get that many kids in every single game. You try to, but there's games that you just can't get them in. So it was a nightmare, and I couldn't go through that again, didn't want to go through that again, especially not with 30. I wasn't going to go up to 30. So inevitably, you had to make a few cuts. Um, That year, I think I trimmed it down to, I kept a heavier team. I kept it to 21. By the time uh, we had a five-day tryout period, by the fifth day, you had a couple kids that just kind of ended up cutting themselves, not showing up. And that's inevitable. You always get, even I'm sure this year, when we have 44 I'm sure all it would be nice. It'd be fantastic if all 44 stayed until the end. But I'm sure there's going to be a couple inevitably. Every year you have a couple that just cut themselves after a day or two where they just stop showing up. So we got down to where it was. We had about three or four that just didn't show up. So we were down to 26. So I had to make about five cuts. And you call the kid over individually towards the end of that final practice, the end of that fifth day. You call them over. You don't want to single them out. You don't want to do it in front of the team. You explain your reasoning. You let them know that, you know, especially if they're in seventh grade, keep trying, keep working hard, keep doing this. And it's uh, it's rough. It's the, the worst part of coaching. But it, you know, it's, uh, I'm not going to lie, the first time I made cuts, I think I kind of took it a little harder than the kids did. Um, I, it, it can be rough, but you just got to grin it. You got to bear through it. And, um, there's been a lot of surprises. I remember one year, one student that I cut as a seventh grader, um, worked their tail off and then came back as an eighth grader and made the team, not only made the team, but ended up being one of the starters on the team for the modified team that year. Um, Two years ago, Jamie and I had to make some cuts for varsity, and we cut a an athlete um, as a junior. It was her first time trying out for soccer. She wasn't at varsity level yet. We didn't have a JV team that year because low numbers. Um, but what she did was she busted her butt off during the offseason, joined a summer travel league um, when the time was right. I think my may have joined an indoor travel league team as well her junior year but came back her senior year and not only made the team but got some good quality minutes off the bench and again as only playing two years that was only her second year playing organized soccer it was fantastic to see it was fantastic her energy level that she brought every game Sometimes she would get five minutes a game. Sometimes she would get 15, 20, 25 minutes a game, depending on the amount of injuries we had or the amount, the numbers that we had. Sometimes she would get no minutes a game. But she was just happy with everything that was that, that came that game, and it was fantastic as a coach to see the progression. So that's all you can really ask for, and it was outstanding. 
So beginning of the season, can't wait for it to start. I got that. I, I've got. I've, I've got those nervous butterflies, but cannot wait for it to start, except for the paperwork. <laughs> so last week, Bills had their first preseason game, and I love it. I love it. And Matt Johnson, when you're editing this. Don't be mad, but I love the fact that the Bills' second-team defense pretty much shut out the Colts' starters. They they scored three points on them. But pretty much Matt Ryan and the starting Indianapolis Colts' offense couldn't do anything against Buffalo's backups. And that's fantastic. Now, again, it's preseason. I get it. They're going to keep their playbook very vanilla. The Bills' defense are going to keep their playbook vanilla, too. You're looking to try different things, see what works, see what doesn't, but you're not you're not anywhere into game planning for these teams. You're not anywhere into—it's um, it's a glorified tryout. It's a glorified tryout, those preseason games. But when—and for whatever reason, why are you, why are you starting Matt Ryan— in a preseason game, I get it. You want him maybe get a little chemistry with your receivers, but he went, he went well into the second quarter. Like why, why are you starting him? And he got sacked once or twice. I'm sorry, preseason games. I really, I'm not as focused as I am during watching a regular season game. But why, especially at the quarterback position, one bad hit. And Matt Ryan's done. You don't need to start him. If you want, put him in for one series, maybe two, and get him out of there. Um, don't do that. I know I'd be saying the same thing. I hope Josh Allen plays zero games this preseason. I hope he plays zero snaps. Zero. Sit on the bench. Sit on the bench. Talk to your teammates. Do nothing until week one against the Rams. Same thing goes with Diggs, same thing goes with Davis, same thing goes with Singletary, with Cooks, with their starting defense. Everybody, shut them down. Shut them down. There is nothing out there that you can gain by starting them even a drive. Shut them down. But the Bills preseason game, they looked they looked good. They looked solid. Um, I loved with uh, what Elam was doing on the cornerback. I thought he... You know, he got burnt one or twice, once or twice, but I thought he played pretty solid, made some good plays. Again, I didn't like the fact that he was out there. I thought they kept him out there a little bit longer than they should have, especially when he got, I think it was he was being evaluated for a concussion, possibly. Um, he was cleared. Everything was fine. But once he went down and went to the inside the uh, the blue tent or whatever, Tell me, as a Bills fan, that you didn't get a little, oh boy, oh no. This is the guy that's going to be our number two cornerback. Could be our number, is probably going to be our number one for at least a game or two. I hope Trey White is back for week one, but, I mean, it's tough coming back from an ACL. But at the very least, uh, Kyrie Elam is going to be our number two cornerback, cornerback for the entire season. Probably number one for the first game or two. But man, if that if he went down, we're in trouble. 
you're talking, we're looking at Dane Jackson as maybe number one. Maybe um, it's get him out of there. I know he's a rookie. I know it's a little bit different. You want to see him go against um, NFL talent as opposed to college talent, but still, get him out of there. He doesn't need to play the next two games. He's doing fine in practice. Just leave him alone. But I did like the way that the coaching staff handled it. They kept everybody, for the most part, all of their starters out, and I hope they do that the next two games. Um, one is a next this week. I'm not even sure who they're playing. I know they're playing um, Carolina week three and Carolina, but I don't care who they're playing in preseason. I'm just ready for the regular season to start. And they looked good. So that's all you really want to see. But as far as whether they look good, look bad, the biggest thing in any preseason, whether it's preseason, hockey, football, baseball, whatever, just no injuries. I don't care if your team looks absolutely horrendous the entire preseason. If you come out healthy, you're good. It's like hitting a reset button because preseason does not matter. And can we stop making a big deal about the Bills, what is it now, nine consecutive preseason game wins? I think the Ravens are, what, 20, 21, 19? Nobody cares. (laughs) Nobody cares. Okay, it's cool. They haven't haven't lost a preseason game since 2018, I think. 2019, somewhere around there. Who cares? It does not matter. If going undefeated in the preseason is going to be your tiebreaker to get you into the playoffs, all right, that's cool. But it means absolutely nothing. Nothing. So stop it. Nobody cares about the preseason streak. All right. I'm going to talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame. I was listening to WGR uh, earlier this week, and... They had an interesting uh, conversation about the Hall of Fame. Is it as prestigious getting into the Hall of Fame as it once was? Does it mean as much as maybe it once did? Is it kind of uh, becoming almost too easy to get into the Hall of Fame? This is going to be a bit of a hot take, but I kind of agree. I kind of think nowadays... You get um, players, whether it's a quarterback, whether it's a receiver, you get players that will have a good three or four seasons, a good, you know, five, six years, and then just, oh, oh yeah, that's a Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer for sure. First ballot Hall of Famer. They're going to make the Hall of Fame. And no, I, I think we're just throwing the word Hall of Famer, Hall of Fame around way too much. Um, Deion Sanders came out with a comment over the weekend saying, you know, it's uh, the Hall of Fame should be reserved for people, for players who change the game. You know, for players who change the game, where they go out there and teams specifically game plan for them. And I agree. You know, it's... It's a hall of it's a hall of fame. It's not a hall of great. It's not a hall of good. You know, great players shouldn't just get into the hall of fame. Legendary players should get into the hall of fame. Um, I'm going to bring up Eli Manning. 
Eli Manning, I think many people are expecting him. Some are expecting him a first ballot Hall of Famer. But there are people out there that think or expect that Eli Manning is going to walk in or should get into the Hall of Fame. I don't think so. I mean, I know he's a two-time Super Bowl winner, um, but I just don't think so. When, in any of his years, did anybody really fear Eli Manning? Did anybody just quake in their boots because Eli Manning was coming to town? Now, he was a very good quarterback. He was definitely an above average, very good, if not At times, there were seasons where he was great. He had a great year or two. But to say that he's a Hall of Famer, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. I think there were years where he had very good talent around him, especially on the defensive defensive side of the ball with Michael Strahan and company. I think he was more than a serviceable quarterback. I'm not saying he was just like a dink and dunk quarterback and didn't um, win some of those games for the Giants. But I just don't think he is, certainly don't think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I don't think he is a Hall of Fame quarterback. Now again, Josh Allen, could he be a Hall of Fame quarterback? Absolutely. Absolutely. If he keeps up, especially if he picks up where he left off uh, with the last couple games of the season last year and the way he played in the playoffs, if he stays on that pace and on that tear, absolutely throw in a few Super Bowls, and of course he could be. But if he only does it for one or two more years and then after that is just eh, just like a regular average run-of-the-mill quarterback, then no, you can't say that he's had a Hall of Fame career yet. He certainly hasn't had it now. You know, this is only going into year number five. You certainly can't say he's a Hall of Fame quarterback now because he hasn't done it yet. Um, And I think that's sometimes when you get, especially in the media, you get the announcers on their, you know, oh, Ezekiel Elliott, you know, I'm sure he's having, he's off to a Hall of Fame career, you know, hopefully a future Hall of Fame running back. Come on, really? What has he done the last year or two or three? Um, Not much. I think sometimes media members are so quick to dub a kid a Hall of Famer before he even gets started. Look at Trevor Lawrence when he first came into the league, um, his rookie year, before he even got drafted last year. You know, oh, this kid's going to be fantastic. This kid's the next, uh, this kid's going to be the next Peyton Manning. This kid's going to be the next. There hasn't been hype about a talent um, coming into the league since Peyton Manning, since John Elway. This kid's going to be the next it. This kid's going to be the next it. Let the kid throw a ball first. Let him earn some of that praise because now he was on Jacksonville, but he was awful last year. And there's a good chance he could be awful again this year. Let the kid have a season or two or three or four before you just start heaping praises on a kid. Um, And then you've got quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, who I think are absolutely first ballot Hall of Famers. I think with Aaron Rodgers, you can only see, well, he only won one Super Bowl. You know, he doesn't, play the best, not that he's terrible, but that, you know, sometimes 
has not his best games in the playoffs, but I still think with the numbers, with the MVPs, he's longevity. He's been in the league long enough where he, I think, in my opinion, should be, not that my opinion means anything, but I think you've got a future Hall of Famer, first ballot Hall of Famer right there. Same thing with Drew Brees when he played. Same thing, unfortunately, and I don't want to be on the record of saying this, but Tom Brady, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. Just give him the jacket now. I mean, hopefully he'll retire, but the man's a future Hall of Famer. Wait till you start dubbing some of these players as a future Hall of Famer. Before they or wait till they've done it for a few years before you dub them a Hall of Famer or future Hall of Famer. And in fact, my biggest thing too with the Hall of Fame is sometimes you get those athletes that have to wait year after year that sometimes it's five years, six years, seven years, ten years till they get into the Hall of Fame. And at that point, are you really a Hall of Famer if it takes you that long or if you have to wait till what was it? They did a 50th anniversary of the Hall of Fame, and they let in a whole group of play or a group of coaches and players for the 50th anniversary or 100th anniversary or whatever it was two years ago last year. Um, when a, a number of players who had uh, been too long for their eligibility got in, it's just come on. If you've got to wait that long, is it really a Hall of Famer anymore? Are you truly a Hall of Famer? Now here was my idea that I that I thought and I'm going to I'm going to share it here. My thought is and again, on the comments, you can leave a comment on our stories from the sidelines page or my Facebook page, uh Lawrence Monahan if you want to check those out. Um or even on our Instagram if you want to leave a comment about this. I would love to hear it, but my thought is on the Hall of Fame it should be done instead of every year. It should be done every 10 years. And I get it. They're never going to do it because it's a moneymaker. You've got the Hall of Fame game. You've got the events that go on there. It's a big moneymaker for the league. Big publicity. Big way in a lot of ways to kick off the season. But if you want a true Hall of Fame, go through it by decade. So go way back as far as whatever. You want to go to the 20s, the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever. Go back to the decades and pick the 53 best players from the 60s, the 70s. A Basically, you're building a roster, a 53-man roster of the best players from the 60s. Then a 53-man roster from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 10, the 2000s, the 10s, the 2020s, um, when they're done. So, you know, when at in 2030... You'll have it, but you'll go back to every player that retired from 2020 all the way to 2029. You pick the top 53 of that decade of players that retired during during that decade, and you create a 53-man roster. Because if you're not even the best, the top 53 from your decade, do you really deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, and don't get me wrong, that if you want to call it a super Hall of Fame or an elite Hall of Fame, whatever, change it, that's fine. But if you're looking at just strictly a Hall of Fame, 
why not make it exactly that, a hall of fame? Not a hall of great, not a hall of good, a hall of fame. It should be the legends, the best of the best. And I agree with what Deion Sanders said. Like he said, you change the game. There are coaches out there, whether you're on offense or defense, coaches come into every game, game planning to shut you down. Whether you're a receiver, a cornerback, um, a defensive lineman, they are game planning for you. They are staying up late nights worried about you. Bruce Smith, one of the best defensive linemen, defensive ends in the game. He gave team fits, I'm sure. There are offensive coordinators out there that are still having nightmares on how to deal with Bruce Smith. And he is a Hall of Famer. And if you're not somebody that changes the game, if you're not somebody that teams specifically try to shut down, are you and should you be considered a Hall of Famer? And I don't think so. It's the best of the best. It's the best of the best of the best. It's the legends. It's the players that when you think football, you think these players' names. And I think over the last couple years, it seems to have become where it's almost you've got players out there that if they've got a great agent and if they had a good to great career, that agent is going to do a media campaign to get them in the Hall of Fame when it comes their time to be, I think it's four years, seven years after you've been retired. Um, no, unfortunately, Tom Brady is not retired long enough, seven years, not seven weeks. Um, <laughs> but it's it's almost like, all right, your, your time is, your seven years is starting now. This is your first ballot. All right, let's get some uh, footage out there. Let's get some... Uh, highlight reels. Let's get your name back in the in the papers. Let's get some attention onto your name and let people know, let players know, let fans know about. The, and we'll get you in the Hall of Fame. Don't worry, kid. We got you. And I have a feeling that's what's going to happen with Eli Manning. I have a feeling he probably will get in the Hall of Fame. I don't know about first ballot, but I think for sure he'll get in the Hall of Fame. And again, not saying he doesn't deserve it. Not saying he deserves it. But we'll see. All right, so that's my take on the Hall of Fame. And earlier in the segment, I in that segment, I kind of uh, I gave a little praise to Tom Brady, and now I'm going to take it all away. Tom Brady, what the hell? You are just leaving practice, leaving training camp? <laughs> what the hell? Now... Supposedly, it's personal reasons. If it is a personal reason where it's a family emergency, it's, you know, whatever. I Hey, that's cool. Take all the time you want. Whenever there's a family emergency that comes up, that's fine. But it's kind of funny that they're saying it's a personal family emergency, family issue, whatever. But this was planned before training camp. So how can you plan a family emergency or a family issue before training camp? Now, again, if it was a surgery, if somebody's, 
then again, this is all just if it's a surgery, if it's a procedure, if it's something that somebody knew of, that's fine. Take all the time you want. Won't throw any shade your way. But there's some rumors out there that it might just be, hey, he might have just had a, you know, he was retired for a little bit and he wanted to go on a vacation and he didn't want to disappoint his kids. So he kept his vacation. Come on. It's training camp. This is your season. This is your job. You can't do that. But I just think it is funny that he just up and left. And apparently now, you know, there's talk out there. Stories are starting to come out and say, oh, he wasn't happy. He was disgruntled. He's not having any fun in Tampa Bay. He's not having any fun in training camp. It's not the same this year. Oh, shut up and just retire already. I hope. The Buccaneers have a horrendously bad season this year. I hope Tom Brady has a horrendously bad season this year and he finally goes away. Go to, where did he get the big contract? Fox Sports, Amazon, whatever. Go get your hundreds of millions of dollars in broadcast games, even though I think he's going to be a horrible broadcaster. But go out and do that. Just get out of the game. If you're miserable, if you're not having any fun, you tried to retire once, and who knows whether you wanted to retire. That was a fake retirement to go to Miami, whatever. Just leave. Leave. You've overstayed your welcome. Just leave. And I really hope they have a horrendous season. Now, Gronkowski, his buddy, has said he's not coming back no matter what Tom says. If Tom calls him, I kind of think that's crap. I think Gronkowski is going to come back midway through the season again. But just leave. Just leave. And I hope Tampa Bay just, I don't. I hope they don't even win the division. I hope somehow the Saints, or I hope Baker, you know what, what I hope Baker and Carolina. My brother lives out in Carolina now, so I can be a Panthers fan for the NFC. I hope Carolina destroys that division, destroys Tampa Bay and wins the division. So, Let's go. Let's go NFC South except Tampa Bay. Everybody beat Tampa Bay this year. Because I I just hope they're done, and I hope Tom Brady is finally done. Greatest quarterback of all time. I've got no problem saying that. He's earned it, whatever. But just get out of here. Just annoying now. Just get out of here. All right, that's my Tom Brady take. And we talked a little bit about this. We're going to stay in the AFC East, but we talked a little bit about this before with injury. And this is, again, why I don't want the Bills to be anywhere, have their starters, any of their starters out in the game. But, man, did the Jets, apparently it looks like they dodged a huge bullet in the first preseason game with Zach Wilson going down. Um, Right now, it doesn't look like it's a torn ACL, which some people were speculating after the game when it first happened. Uh, Looks like it's just an MCL tear or meniscus or something like that in the knee where it's going to be. In fact, I think today he had his surgery. They didn't see that there were any issues or any surprises. So it looks like he's only going to be out two to four weeks. Um, In fact, latest reports are that week one, him being ready for the first week of the season is still very much in play and still very likely. But man, can you imagine if it was an ACL tear? Can you imagine as a Bills fan, 
Josh Allen started last week, and he blew out his ACL in a meaningless game against the Colts. <sighs> I shudder at the thought. Like, I don't even want to think about that. That would be, in fact, and I love McDermott, but if that happened, he should be fired the next day for even putting Allen out there. That's how egregious that decision would be. It's awful. And you're playing in a sport, in any sport, but especially in the NFL, when you're playing in a violent game like that, a tough physical game like the NFL is. But in any sport, any injury can happen. But in the NFL, an injury can happen like that. It can. We've seen players go down in the first play of the first game of the season. We've seen players go down the first day of training camp in just a practice. Why would you? Why would you compound the chances of your starters getting hurt in these games when they mean absolutely nothing? When you already know what they can do, you they are already secured on their spot, you would gain absolutely nothing. So I hope the Bills, I hope we don't see Allen play until September 8th against the Rams. Keep him out. Same thing with Diggs, same thing with all of them. We don't need to see them until September 8th, and man, I can't wait till that day. But the Jets dodged a huge, a huge, huge, huge injury. Not that it's really going to matter. They're going to finish. They're going to finish third in a the division. They're going to finish third in a division. Bills will finish first. Dolphins will finish second. Jets will finish third. And that other team, <laughs> the Patriots are going to be a. Yeah, their Patriots are going to be a five-six win team. Let's be perfectly honest; they are going nowhere this year, nowhere, nowhere, nowhere. And I'm going to love every minute of it. Nothing would be better. The Bills are going to win the Super Bowl. I'm on record saying it. I think, and that's no hot take. I think national media, I mean, everybody's on record of saying that the Bills are the Super Bowl favorite this year, but it would be fantastic if the Bills won the Super Bowl and the Patriots finish with a top five pick in the draft or lower. Nothing would make me happier. Nothing. It's, It's amazing, though, now because 20 years ago before Brady, the Patriots were irrelevant. And now they're back to being irrelevant, which I love. All right. We're going to wrap things up. Normally, we wrap up the show with um, hot seat questions. This, uh, obviously, with me being the only one here. I had my wife, Victoria, and my stepdaughter, Sarah, or daughter, Sarah, who I'm going to give her a little shout-out. I am so proud of her. She is on the – Sarah, sorry. I know I'm going to mess this up, but it's some sort of judicial board at Syracuse University. So she'll be – they only picked, they only picked um, four students for this position out of the entire campus. And not only is she one of four out of hundreds, if not thousands of people that applied for these spots on the discipline committee – but she is also the youngest. She is the only sophomore. 
that got picked. So that is a great honor, and I am so, 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 so proud of her and proud of everything that she's done um, as she continues to grow up to be the amazing young lady, the amazing woman that she is. So, And she'll be going back to school next week. In fact, Monday we'll be loading up the car and driving off to Syracuse so that she can start her second semester. So, so proud of you, Sarah. Um, But I had these two come up with a couple of hot seat questions for me today that I am literally just reading now off my cell phone as I go through my cell phone to find the questions that they have asked. All right. First question comes from my wife. <laughs> this is a good one. As I'm, I'm, I'm laughing a little bit as I'm reading it for the first time here, but she writes, what is your least favorite chore or what has been your least favorite chore on the honeydew list this summer? And I talked about this last week for my coming in hot segment, and she knows it. She know she knew the answer when she asked me this, I'm sure. But it is when I had to paint the garage two weeks ago last week, whenever I did it. Oh my god, I hate painting. I hate it. I hate painting. Again, something that sounds like it's fun should be fun in theory. Oh, you just do a little of this, a little of that, it's fun. No, there's oh, I hate painting. I hate painting. So that was my worst honey-do list item this year of the summer, painting the inside of the garage. I think I painted the laundry room, too, or was that during the school year? But anyways, I hated painting. Hate painting. All right, but thank you, hon. All right, the next question is sticking with my wife. So Victoria asks another one. Uh, my wife asks another one. It is, what was your favorite city that you visited this summer in Italy. She also writes, I'm I'm reading here, she also adds, on the best trip planned by your wife, (laughs) which was absolutely true. She planned, I'd say, 95% of this trip. You know, we talked about a little bit about cities, about this and that, where we're going to go, but my wife does all of the planning for all of our amazing vacations, which I, she is incredible at it. So I always said she should be a travel agent. If there even are travel agents anymore, but if she ever wants a side job, she should be a travel agent. But anyways, my favorite city, and again, I think she knows this, but my favorite city was probably um, Cinque Terre. Probably Cinque Terre, we, which is in Italy, it's the five uh, five lands. So there's um, there is Cornelia, Monarola, where we stayed in um, primarily. Then there's um, Monterosa, there's Rio Majaro, Rio Majario, and Cornelia. We traveled to all five. We stayed in Monarola, but we made a day trip to all five lands. We walked. Um, to one on a little hike there, a big hike. But my favorite was probably um, Cinque Terre and probably the Five Lands, probably uh, Rio Maggiore. Um, I loved it there. I loved Monarola. Monarola was cool. Where we stayed at, Rio Maggiore was cool. Um, 
Cornelia had its own little, was a very small, had its little, almost like acquaintance, almost like country, I guess. Not that they, none of them were very busy. But I'd say uh, Rio Majare, uh, Mana Rosa I wasn't a huge fan of. Um, and Vernaza wasn't a big fan of either, but... Um, no, I I really enjoyed uh, Rio Majare. Was fantastic. So thank you, Victoria, for that question. Um, here's one from Sarah. She asks, "What was your favorite um, birthday gift <laughs> that you've received?" And I mean, we've talked about this a little bit before where I've gotten great gifts. Um, the fact that Sarah's asking this question brings one to mind. For when I turned 40, um, almost two years ago now, because my birthday's coming up in October, but when I turned 40, um, Sarah uh, got me for uh, one of my favorite candy bars is Coffee Crisp. I love Coffee Crisp. So for my my birthday, she got me um, 40, 40 coffee crisp bars, which was – and no, I didn't finish them all in one day. I'm not that uh, – I don't have that much of a sweet tooth, but it took me a while to finish those. Um, and she bought me 40 of those little um, snack boxes of cereal, so like the, the snack packs, the, the smaller mini boxes. They almost look like the size – of a juice box, maybe a little bigger, but she got me 40 of those, like the variety packs, like the Apple Jacks, the Golden Grams. I think one was the Fruit Loops. So she got me 40 packs of cereal, 40 packs or 40 of the Coffee Crisp uh, candy bars, which I thought was just, I thought it was fun. I thought it was, it was just very unique. It was awesome. And so I thought that was one of my, at least that came to mind, one of my favorite, birthday gifts that I received. So thank you, Sarah, for that question. Um, <laughs> this question is titled from both Vicky and Sarah. So this will be question number four from both of them. Who is your favorite pet? Who is your favorite dog? We, For those of you who don't know, I think I've mentioned it. We've got, I've got two dogs, Bella and Bailey. Bella is a golden doodle, a nine-year-old golden doodle. Um, Vicky and Sarah got Bella. Bella was about – Bella was a little more than a year, about uh, 13 months. So about a year and a month old when um, when I first started dating Vicky, when I first started dating my wife and came into the picture. And she was she is just as energetic as a pup as she is now. Um, so she's nine years old and is showing no signs of slowing down. And Bailey is a, we think about five and a half, six year old rescue that we got, um, when she was five months, we, they, they said anywhere between five and eight months. Um, so she's six. In fact, uh, in fact, her rescue day, I think it'll be six years that we got her. Her rescue day is coming up in... The f- either the last week of September, first week of October. I know I'm bad with dates, but 
So that'll be six years that we had her. They say that Bailey is my favorite. Uh, Vicky and I picked her out together at a rescue out at um, in Clarence at the. Um, um, I can't remember. I can't think of the name out in Clarence, but they did a rescue event out there, and we saw her, and I fell in love with her instantly. So they say that Bailey's my favorite, but they are both my favorites. I cannot. I, I don't have a favorite. I cannot pick a favorite. They are both my favorites. I love them immensely. Anybody who knows me knows that I am a big dog person, just a big pet person in general, but I'm a big softie when it comes to my dogs. So I love them both. They're both going to tell you that Bailey's my favorite and I play favoritisms, but no, um, I love them both. In fact, um, today, a lot of this summer was spent with me taking them to the dog park, me or just me when I'm having my Netflix days on the couch, having one or both of them just either kick me off the couch or sleep with me on the couch. So, you know, those are my two, they're my two fur babies. They're my two babies. I'm a big softie when it comes to animals, especially dogs, especially my dogs. So um, I choose both. They are both my favorites. And the last um, question, and this question is, again, written from both of them. I have a feeling this one might be from Sarah, but this is it's it's written it says both so I'm going to I'm going to say both. But the question is um what is your favorite cereal? And again, I told you with Sarah gave me the cereal cuz I'm a big 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 cereal fan. Although I really have I've been kind of pulling away from cereal the last couple of years. Just, you know, it's at some point I got to give up the sugary snacks, the sugary foods. But I'm a big cereal person. Man, there were times in my 20s in particular, especially in college where I could eat cereal for and probably did eat cereal for breakfast, lunch and dinner. But it's a tricky question. I'm I'm very much you know, I'll I'll go on moods when it comes to food or cereal where sometimes I'll eat, you know, golden grams or then I'll eat, you know, eat that for like a week or so. Then I'll switch to Cocoa Puffs or uh, Cocoa Pebbles or um, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Usually it's a sugary cereal that's got no, <laughs> probably very little nutritional value. Um. But there are times where I'll I'll say that I'm eating healthy cereal, and when I say healthy cereal, it's usually the uh, Honey Nut Cheerios variety or Raisin Brand, which is still loaded with sugar, both of them. But if I had to pick a favorite, hmm, let's see, Cinnamon Toast Crunch would definitely be in my top five. C- Cocoa. Pebbles would be in my top five. Golden Grands. You know, I'm going to say, I'm going to say the the Cocoa Pebbles. Not the Fruity Pebbles, the Cocoa Pebbles. And this is how much I love the sugary foods. Like, I'll have Cocoa Pebbles. Not only that, I'll either put in, and there's been times I've done this both ways, but there have been times where I'll put in the Cocoa Pebbles, I'll either pour chocolate milk on there and eat it with the chocolate milk instead of regular milk or I'll put milk in there and then the chocolate syrup or the chocolate uh, yeah chocolate syrup 
um, that you would put on for Sundays. I'll put that in there and mix it up and, and, and eat it that way. Or there's times where I'll do I'll do chocolate milk with the chocolate sauce and the cocoa pebbles. Yeah, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> but, so I'll, I'll say cocoa pebbles um, is if right now that's what I'm feeling the cocoa pebbles. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening to a solo episode today. Next week, Matt will be back in studio. Matt Keel will be back in studio with me. I'm sure we'll rehash some of the same stuff, but hopefully we'll have another guest. Speaking of guests, if you would like to join us so that I don't have to do a solo episode anymore, but if you would like to ever be a guest, please Email us or message us at Stories from the Sidelines on Facebook or Stories from the Sidelines on Instagram. Also, make sure you check out our YouTube page. And if you have any stories that you would like to for us to put on our YouTube page, please send us a message. Send us an email at Stories from the Sidelines or at Lawrence Monahan on Facebook, and we will get post those episodes of you talking about your favorite favorite sports moments, whether it's from playing, coaching, or as a fan. And we can get some more of those YouTube videos up. All right, and make sure you check out our match series that is up there from the match event that we did a number uh, a few weeks back. All right, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Again, check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Stories from the Sidelines. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and make sure... You tune in again next week for another exciting episode of Stories from the Sidelines. I'm Coach Larry, and I'll see you soon.